Hello and welcome to Financial Education for the Nation. My name's Warren Shute and I'm here in my studio today and it's cold! Hence I've got a jumper on, a shirt on, there's actually even a t-shirt under the shirt. So three layers, a bit chilly today out there. But I guess we're going into that season, it's November, we're going into Christmas, it's going to be January, it's a bit wet and gloomy for this period of time. So, let's keep the energy high, let's keep it upbeat and focus on what we can control. But today we're going to talk about investing. I'm going to give you a quick overview of the different types of investing and we're going to concentrate on the difference between active and passive investing. See you in a second. So here we go, styles of investing, active versus passive. Now, it's you want to invest money. Now, when I was younger, I, before I became a financial planner 25 years ago, um, I know I was very young when I started, um, you'd be forgiven to think that I, or I'd be forgiven to think that, you know, the way I wanted to make money was buy the next hot stock. Buy a stock, make money, sell it, make buy another stock, make money, that kind of thing. Buy a property, do it, make money. And once you actually get into educating yourself on investing, and 25 years later, you kind of realise that, it's not how it's done. It might be how it's done in the films. Um, you know, it's not how it's done in reality. In reality, the patient investor is the successor. Uh, the one who's got the most vision is the one who will um, prosper most. Um, and really, there are some set formulas that you need to follow. In, surely it makes sense then to follow those formulas, the formulas that the academics, the universities, the researchers um, have done. There's been hundreds of millions of pounds invested in stock market investing and how to make money. It makes sense. There's a lot of money at stake. So surely we want to tap into that research and say, hey, what are they finding out? What are they learning? Um, it's the same with medicine, isn't it? You know, you wouldn't talk to your neighbour about medical advice, unless they're a consultant, I guess. But you might take investment advice from your neighbour or a friend. And really what I'm trying to give the analogy there is, you want to talk to someone who's studied the facts, the, the the processes, rather than just going off what someone might say. And a real bad thing is some of these investment TV shows, I'm kind of shooting myself in the neck here, um, but really there are some sensible, straightforward characteristics that you can adopt to get the market return. The market returns around about 9% a year. Um, most people getting a 9% return would double their money about every seven years. They're gonna be pretty happy. That's gonna be a pretty decent return. Um, so, hey, stay tuned. So anyway, there are two ways in which you can invest in the stock market. We're keeping things simple here. I'm sure people listening to this say, oh no, Warren, there's actually another five, but keeping things nice and simple. Two ways to invest in the stock market. You can invest directly. So you can go online. I was going to say ring up because that's what my broker was when I started 25 years ago. You'd ring up your broker or nowadays you'd go online. You open your brokerage account. You say you want to buy this share. You put your price in and you buy your share. You've gone direct to the market. The second way in which you can buy um, into the stock market is you can buy via a fund. So you can buy a fund. And a fund is basically a collection of shares, or an equity fund, it's a collection of shares. And that is run by a fund manager. And their job is to, they have a mandate and they've got to follow that mandate, the rule book on how to manage that fund. Now, there are two types of fund manager. There are active fund managers and there are passive fund managers. 
Okay, so you've got active and passive. An active fund manager manages the money differently to a passive fund manager. And a passive fund manager might also be called an indexed fund manager or an evidence-based fund manager. But generally speaking, passive, indexed, evidence-based, they all come under the same remit. They manage the money very, very, very similarly uh, in a similar way. <clears throat> so go backstage. We want to invest for the future. We've decided we're gonna follow an evidence-based process. We've got two ways. We can either buy directly into the stock market or we can buy via a fund. If you have less than, you know, I, I put my neck line here, but I'll probably say about 10 million pounds, you're probably better off going via a fund. And I say 10, it's probably even north of that. It's probably nearer 20, um, but, Let's say 10, you'd get away with a diversified portfolio. If you have less than 10 million pounds, you're better off going through a fund. Now, shares can be fun and engaging and interesting, but that's an educational piece or an entertainment piece. It's not an investment piece. So if you've got less than 10 million, we're going via a fund. With a fund, we've got two choices. We've got active on one hand, we've got passive on the other. And this video is really going to talk to you about the difference between the two. But just listen to the words, active and passive. Which one sits better with you? Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Active sounds much more fun, doesn't it? Active, you're active. People say, don't sit around, um, do something, be active. Don't be lazy. You know, doing something is better than doing nothing. All these terms come to our mind. So we're programmed from a young age. You know, your mum says to you, get off the sofa, don't sit around, do something. We wanna be active. So therefore, when it comes to investing, why wouldn't we be active? We just carry these, these learnings through our lives. However, when it comes to investing, it's about being active to start off with. In other words, making the right decision and then doing nothing, sitting tight. So I wanna sort of explain to you the difference between active and passive investing and help you come to a conclusion, rather than me just telling you, you come to a conclusion and say, oh, I see now why Warren invests in a passive index evidence-based approach as opposed to buying active funds. Um, it's also important to note that, oh, I think I can be honest, I think I can say the majority of institutional money, so big players, is going into passive funds now, index funds now. Um, and the more, the growth of money going into index fund is greater than the growth of money going into passive funds. I think it's still more money, sorry, uh, active funds. I think it's still more money going into passive fund, uh, active funds for um, uh, retail investors, but it's growing. The more and more money is going into the index way. And that's because the US is ahead of the UK typically in investing because they're more advanced. They've been equity investors for decades. My father's American and my uncles and aunts came over when I was knee high to a grasshopper, as they say, seven years old, some of like that. And I can remember conversations around share and equity investing. If you take that back roughly 40 years ago, 38 years ago, only the very wealthy in the UK were investing in the stock market. The US is a capitalist market, very much so. We are becoming more that way, um, but you know, the US has been inv investing for a long time, hence a lot of the research comes from the US still. But um, I want to talk to you the, about the difference between the two and make sure that you're aware so you can make an informed decision. Um, I've spoken about this many times before, but Warren Buffett did a uh, bet back in 2007 um, about any active manager who thinks they can beat the market 
go up against him. Um, well, actually, it was go up against the S&P 500. It was even him. Um, and of all the different active managers around the world who could have uh, won a million pounds, uh, admittedly it's for charity, but at least got a lot of credibility in uh, marketing out of it free, um, only one guy came forward. So there's, I think, a couple of articles on my site about that. Just search Warren Buffett bet um, and you'll find that. But um, let, let, let's drill down and say, okay, let's talk about the different types of investor um, or in fund manager and how they manage money. So active and passive. So the active guy comes to work uh, or the lady comes to work in the morning and what they do is their job is to buy and sell shares within their fund. So they look after a fund um, and their job is to buy and sell shares. They're probably going to buy shares that are going up or they think are going to go up and they're probably going to sell shares that they think are going to go down or are going down. Um, they do, do this based on a bit of research, maybe client meetings, that kind of thing. So they're very engaged in the market and they want to try and beat the market. And they're measured against their index. And I guess you could compare that to a league. Um, and their job is to at least match the performance of that index or that league. Now, if I say to you that the majority over time don't beat that league, so the average don't beat that league, um, you can see how hard it is for them to actually you know, match that performance. On the flip side, you've got the passive fund. And the passive fund is a fund that is continuously invested. And it's uh, invested across the index, whatever that might be, whether it's the FTSE or share or the S&P 500. And then the fund manager only places trades when the shares no longer meet the requirement. So say, for example, we're investing in the FTSE 100, which is the 100 companies in the UK. When there's a reshuffle of the FTSE and a few companies drop out, the fund manager places a trade to sell those shares because they're no longer in it and places a trade to buy the shares that go into it. So the, the trading is a lot less. And the, the index manager generally is run by a computer. So there's a team of people that it's all run automatically and they oversee ensuring that this is all um, invested all the time. Flip side, the active manager, <clears throat> generally, it could be a team, but generally it's one person and their job is literally to buy and sell to make all the calls that the, this trading is going ahead. So you've got the two contrasts there. One quite busy, active. The other one more strategic, um, more passive, more buy and hold. Now, one of the things that's important as an investor is that you ensure you have diversification because the more diversified you are in your portfolio, the lower the risks are to your portfolio of an individual company. Now, let me explain. An active manager probably has about 300 individual shares in their portfolio. If one of those shares were to go bust, it's going to have a proportionate effect on the portfolio. Okay, so one in 300, although you might think well, that's not that much, um, it could be quite a lion's share and it could have a you know, detrimental effect on the performance of that portfolio. Flip it to a passive fund. Now, the funds that we manage at Lexo have about 10,000 shares in them. So if one of those companies go bust, although it's not desirable and we don't like it and everything else, it's going to have a significantly less impact on the overall performance of the portfolio. It's 300 shares, it's going to be a lot more concentrated, it's a more um, attributed, 10,000 shares, it makes a little difference. And I think when, when you look at it, what the, what the aim is of the two portfolios is, Vince, I don't know where it got to there, so um, I think it was talking about the passive guy. 
to having 300 shares in your portfolio, losing one company because it goes out of business is going to have a much more concentrated effect than losing one company in a portfolio of 10,000 shares. It's a lot more diluted. Um, and the active guy's job is to buy the winners and sell the losers, okay? Whereas the passive guy is just holding on to all of the shares and getting what we would term as the market rate of return. So it's just getting the return of the market, which typically over the long term has been around like 9% a year. So the passive guy is going for the market return, just grabbing all the returns of all the market. So he's got all these 10,000 shares just holding on to them. And not all of them have got 10,000 shares, by the way, but the Lexo one does. Whereas the active guy is trying to say, well, actually, I'm going to buy the winners. Makes sense, right? Buy the winners. I'm going to sell the losers. Uh, I'm just going to keep buying the winners. Now, on the article relating to this uh, recording, you go on to warrenshoot.com, um, there's a chart that shows the average active fund manager versus the um, uh, UK market as a whole. And you can see that the average active fund manager can't even keep up with the market. So not beat it. It can't keep up, so it's not mirroring it. It's actually underperforming the market. Uh, it's a really significant chart that you can probably pull and have a look at. So diversification when investing is a real important thing. You know, having a broad spread um, of underlying investments just in case the inevitable happens, something goes wrong, um, and then you are cushioned, so you're invested more for the long run. So let's have a look at charges. Charges is something that's not really delved into a lot of detail, but let me try and um, scrape below the surface a little bit so you understand them a little bit more. Um, the charges are the cost of running the fund, basically. So if you imagine you've got the um, marketing of the fund, you've got the house manager, everything else, you've got the safety. You know, there's all these different charges that might not come to your attention straight away. It's like everything in life. When you buy something, there's costs involved. When you buy a house, you've got your conveyances, legal fees, <clears throat> you've got your stamp duty, etc., um, whatever it is, there's costs involved. So the costs involved with the two, let me sort of run through them because it's important that we try and keep our costs under control because costs are a negative return that is guaranteed. Um, so if the markets return zero, you're going to do less than zero by the amount of charges that you incur in your portfolio. So uh, the annual management charge. The annual management charge is the headline rate that most people talk about, the AMC. This covers the cost of the fund management group. So it covers the cost of the fund manager, their team, their lovely offices, uh, the marketing of the fund, that kind of thing. So running of the business, as it were. Um, and the cost of an active fund, generally speaking, are quite a bit higher than the cost of a passive fund. And the reason for that is you are paying for a star fund manager, typically. You're paying for an individual's expertise to try and beat the market. Um, they are marketed often quite a lot more because they're, they're products that are sold. And there are some websites out there in the UK that actually sell these funds. It does grate me a little bit because they're not a commodity. Uh, they're an investment. It's not like buying a car or buying a, a top to go out in the evening. This is money that you're investing in. I don't think they should really be marketed and sold like that, but that's a different ta tangent. So the marketing's a bit more heavy. You've got a lot more um, riding on the star fund manager. So the total costs um, for a, or the annual management cost, should I say, for an active fund generally can run um, about one and a half percent. And then you've got a passive fund probably running at less than a half. So quite considerable difference between the two. And if you imagine that over a 20 year investment horizon it makes a big difference. 
Um, then you've got custodian costs. Custodian costs are basically the safekeeping money. So your money when you invest is not kept in the fund manager's um, bank account um, or even the company's bank account. It's kept in a separate account and that's called a custodian. And that's just in case something were to happen to the fund management group. If the fund management group were to go bust, your money is in the custodian's account, so it's separate, it's ring-fenced from the fund manager. And if you think of it when you buy a property, you actually don't transfer your deposit to the solicitors, it goes into the solicitor's client account. Um, it's a very similar sort of setup, it's a nominee account. So it's a method putting in place, so if something happens to the fund management group, whether they're active or passive, your money's ring-fenced and it's protected. So the cost of an active fund manager and the cost for a passive fund manager are very similar because it's just a custodian fee, it's a protection fee. So there's not much difference between the two there. Um, and then you have costs that are variable. So those two costs that I've mentioned so far, um, the annual management fee and the custodian's fee are pretty much static and they can be quoted. The two combined tend to be called the total expense ratio or the ongoing charges ratio, uh, fee, which is OCF, the ongoing charges fee. Um, so you've got the annual management fee, then you plus the custodian, then you've got that. So the um, total expense ratio for a typical active managed fund might reach around about 2%, whereas with a passive fund, you're probably reaching um, just over 0.5. I think our portfolios are less than 0.5, but um, the, you, the, the message here is they're considerably less, considerably less. Um, and then you've got the trading costs. Now the trading costs come in a whole manner of different costs and fees and things, and they are variable because obviously if there's lots of trading going on, then the trading costs are higher, uh, and if there's very little trading going, the tra trading costs are a lot lower. And they include things like bid offer spread, so when you buy a share and sell a share, there are different prices, and that's called the spread. Um, if it's a very liquid share, the spread is very, very small. If it's an illiquid share, so if it's a share that's not traded very often, the spread can be quite wide. But there you've got the bid offer spread. You've got brokerage fees, so there's a stockbroker involved. The stockbroker will price the trade, um, and obviously the stockbroker needs to get paid. There's stamp duty when you buy a share, so there's a stamp duty cost. There's a thing called slippage as well. And slippage is where, where you do your research, you agree on the price that it is valued at, and you go and buy it and it's slipped, it's moved a little bit from the price that you um, agreed, but you still go ahead and buy it. Now we're not talking here percentages even, we're talking fractions of percent, but these are all incremental additional costs and fees that add up. So there's another cost there. So with the trading fees, if you're a highly active fund manager and you're turning over your portfolio regularly, those trading fees are gonna be a lot higher. Whereas if you're a passive fund and you're turning over your portfolio a lot less, those trading fees are gonna be a lot lower. And as a, as a guide, it wouldn't be unreasonable to have a turnover ratio of 100%, or at least 70, 80% in a active fund, and some are actually over 100%. And what that means is you've sold, if, you, if it's 100% it means you've sold all of your shares in a 12 month period and bought shares again. Okay, so that's a, that's a huge expense on the portfolio. Whereas a passive fund, you'd probably find that the turnover ratio is less than 10%. And ours are some of the lowest turnover ratios in the, uh, in the, in the marketplace. Um, and the reason for that is the funds, once they've bought the share, done the research on the share, once they've bought the share, they're holding onto it. They don't want to sell it again because shares appreciate in value. And the reason shares appreciate in value over time is they make profits. Now. If it's not making a profit, you probably shouldn't have bought it in the first place. So that's the sort of that's where the good research comes in. Now, one last thing, which isn't actually a fee, 
it's a income, but what fund managers can actually do is they can loan their shareholdings out to somebody else, normally another fund manager. So let's say, for example, you've got a big holding of a particular share, let's say it's Apple, uh, and somebody else needs some Apple shares for whatever reason, um, you can, as a fund manager, loan those shares out to the other fund manager and they pay you an income for that. And of course, that income is an additional return for you. So it's a way of reducing your overall costs and fees um, on the portfolio. Now, if you're an active fund manager and you're buying and selling all of the time, you're not gonna really be able to lend these out because you might wanna sell them and you have to get them back and then sell them. Logistically, it doesn't work. So the loaning of shares um, generally works better for an index fund that is just buy and hold, is gonna sit on these shares for a much longer period of time. So hopefully that's given you an overview of the charges. I don't wanna sort of labor it because everyone sort of beats up active managers, but it is true. They are a lot more expensive and you're probably ticking tick around about 2% a year as opposed to maybe just over half a percent a year. And then you've got the emotions of the fund manager themselves. So we're all physical beings, but we're run by our emotions. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a Warren Buffett or whether you're a novice, you have emotions and these emotions are affected by the surroundings um, and what's going on. And one of the big arguments for active fund management is basically that, well, you know, it's all very well, but at least an active manager can sell when the market starts turning down and then when they see it picking back up again, they can buy back in. Well, to a certain extent, that is true. However, their remit, their mandate for running the portfolio probably does say that you can't sell all of your fund and go into cash at any one time. So they can't actually exit the market and go into cash and then buy back in. But even if they could, would it be the right thing to do? Because there have been so many academic papers done now that says it is nigh on impossible I'm gonna say impossible, okay, I'll put my neck out on the line. It's impossible to consistently exit the market on the way down and get back in the market before you've got back to your sell point. And what I mean by that is if you look at the market going down then back up again, if we get out because it's fearful, we're still fearful it's going back in, when it starts rallying back up again, your mixed emotions of, oh, should I get back in now or is it too late? I'm proud of my decision of getting out, I feel good, I don't want to mess that up and now have egg on my face and get back in too early. But if I get back in too late, it's a whole raft of emotions that really doesn't play to a successful investment experience. Whereas the passive guys don't get involved with that. They buy the portfolio and they hold it. And yes, they do ride the market down, but capital markets work, stock markets work. And the reason they work is because over time, companies make profits and those profits make the company more valuable, more valuable, and therefore they appreciate in price. So as it goes down because of noise and fear, they will then come to a price where people say, this is now just too good to be true. Let's start buying. It's gone too far. And as the share price appreciates back up, you then recover. And you can go back to the 1920s in the States and look at data um, of this and how the stock markets have performed and they've rewarded the patient investor. So although it might seem the better option doing active investing um, and getting involved with an active fund manager, the reality is I'm not convinced that an active manager is able to time the market um, based on academic research and proof myself, looking at the average fund manager against the index. So let me summarize for you and just bring it all together. Um, 
we want to invest in the stock market. We know that there are two ways we can do this. We can go directly into a share and buy an individual company, or we can go in via a fund. We know that diversification when we invest is our friend. The more broadly diversified we are, the better our experience is going to be in case there's a mishap, in case a company or two goes busted during the way. So we want to be broadly diversified. So we're gonna go into a fund. We've got two types of fund to choose from. We've got an active fund manager, or we've got a passive or index fund. Now we know that the term active fund manager is very compelling. We've been told all our life to get out there and do something rather than just sit down and do nothing. Um, but we also are aware that there are higher charges with regards to an active fund. It's less diversified in an active fund. And actually active fund management, based on the research and looking at the charts, doesn't consistently beat the index. So we're stacking the odds against us. So when we look at the index fund, we've got lower charges, which means we keep more of the return. We're taking the market return, which is around about 9% a year, and we're just gonna set and forget. We're just gonna invest for the long term. Um, I think that is a good sort of summary of the active and passive. Um, just to leave you with one point that Morningstar did some research around active fund managers. And one of the things they said was, well, active fund managers that have performed particularly well, because most of us, if we're buying active funds, we'll buy in past performance. And if they perform particularly well over the last five years, one would expect them to continue that trend because they're, they're so good, basically. Um, but Morningstar found that this wasn't the case. When they looked at the past period of successful performance, when they projected that or when they um, revisited that in the future, they found that there was no correlation between being well-performing in the past and well-performing in the future. In fact, they found it as the contrary. Those that had done particularly well in the previous period didn't do so well in the following period. So there you go, just leave it at that. Um, Go and check out Lexo, lexo.co.uk. It's our own in online investment site. It's pretty much the portfolios that our clients access here at Lexington Wealth. Um, if you have any questions on this, please give me a call. It's not a battering or a beating. It's not supposed to be derogatory to um, active fund managers. It's just laying down the facts. Um, so you, the investor, can make an informed decision. That's all we're trying to achieve here. Um, if you want to buy an active fund, it's a free country. Go ahead and do it. Um, I myself own individual shares. So I'm not saying don't buy individual shares. I find it engaging and interesting. Um, but I don't do it with my diverse portfolio. I don't do it for my retirement fund, for example. Um, I do it with my fund money. Uh, this has been Warren Shoe. It's financial education for the nation. Thank you for watching and thank you for listening. And until next time, take care.